All right, good morning. Uh, when I was a little kid, we used to go to the public community pool. I don't know how many of you used to go to the public community pool. I feel like it's less of a thing nowadays. But I loved it where we would go and uh, it was just packed out in the summer, right? Every single, like just, it felt like every kid in the community was there. And the pool was full and it was this uh, really just fun time. But the cornerstone of the community pool experience was the diving board. Now, there was the regular diving board, but then there was the high dive, right? The high dive was everything. And I remember as I was this little guy, and I, I was like, I'm going to do that. And so I went and started climbing up the, the, the ladder, and there's a line behind you, right? So you've got to keep going. And then walking out that plank, uh, essentially, walking the plank. And my feet are hanging over the edge, and I look and just fear filling me. And as that fear fills me, I turned around and walked back and shamefully climbed back down the ladder as the other kid had to climb back down to get out of my way. And that, like, you know, just that sort of shameful walk. But then I remember when my friends came to the pool with me, they said, you got this. Come on, let's go. And they encouraged me. And I remember again, okay, fine. And I climb up that ladder and I head out, out to the edge. But even as my friends were there, the fear still came. The fear is filling me. And as it does, my friend said, you got this. Come on. And they do the classic, let's go on the count of three, right? And it's those dreaded one, two, and fine. And I just jump. And then it's exhilarating and amazing. And I hit the water and just feeling like I've achieved the greatest victory of all time as I rise up as this little, I don't know, seven, eight-year-old. Uh, but it was those faith of my friends in me, them spurring me on that got me to do it. And in sort of a real life setting, I've had my friends in real life have been able to spur me on in certain times. Their faith in God for me has helped me to be able to sort of keep going in the midst of certain things in family or career or uh, with just painful times or, or sickness or whatever that might be. And I've had God spur me on through the faith of my friends. And the story that we will look at today in the book of Mark, in Mark 2, as we consider this question of who is Jesus, is a story of faith of friends uh, and the faith that they had for their friends. So turn, if you, if you would, with me to Mark 2, 1 to 13. And we're going to read through this story here. Uh, it starts with, it says, When he, speaking of Jesus, when he'd come back to Capernaum several days afterward. So several days after what? Well, if you remember last week, as Pastor Dave taught on a couple healings and Jesus was out performing some miracles and there was a leper where Jesus was moved with compassion and then heals him. And then we come to this part. He comes back to Capernaum and it was heard that he was at home. So Jesus is at home and then many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came these four friends, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. Let's pause, okay? We'll pause here. Let's think about what's actually happening here. We're in Israel, 
Okay, you've got Israel, the north end of Israel. You have the Sea of Galilee. On the north end of the Sea of Galilee, you have a little town called Capernaum. They're in this little town on the north end of this lake. And this is, again, what that little village looks like. It's not a city. It's actually not even a town. It's a tiny little fishing village. Even today, you can see how it's, just, it's farmland surrounding it. It's a tiny little spot. And where this odd little dark uh, building is, underneath that, is where they think this house would have been. Okay? Now, this is what ruins of houses look like nowadays. Houses in Capernaum now look like this. Not much that you want, only comes up to the waist, nothing else, right? But you get a sense, though, of the layout of the village and where these houses are. Now, so what somebody else did in a town nearby is they made some replicas of what homes would have looked like then. So kind of help you get, you know, it's hard when you just look around at ruins that are waist high. You don't get a sense of it. Now, what you see here is, right here is actually the top of sort of a first story of a smaller, lower level. And I just wanted you to be able to see the top because it's mud and, and, and plaster and rock. And then this is this upper part. And then this next picture you'll see is inside this room, okay? So this is the room inside there. And this is much of what they believe the room would have looked like that this very story takes place. Not that big. This is sort of the main room of the house. There's a fire here, and this is where they would do their cooking and also hanging out. And this room would have been full of people, okay? Just packed with people. And that's, there's a door here and a door uh, on the other side from the perspective of the photographer. And that's what, you know, people are out those doors. They're cramming in. They're filling it up. They're listening. Jesus is teaching. And then uh, here's another image so you can kind of see what they think uh, the ceiling would have looked like more in this story. And so as we even get closer there, you have... This ceiling where you have these larger uh, cross beams and smaller sticks and then mud and dirt and some rock. So you're in this room. You're excited. You've got a spot. You showed up early so you got a good seat, right? And you're sitting there and you're listening because finally you get to hear Jesus teach. Because they've talked about how he's this teacher that has authority and teaches differently than the normal religious leaders that you're used to hearing. And so he's speaking, and you've got your spot, and it's crowded, though, and it's hot. And, and, and as he's sharing, you start to hear some noise, some banging, maybe a cell phone going off, uh, <laughs> some scratching, you know, some, some digging, some breaking of branches. And I don't know about you, but I get sort of annoyed when, you know, when we're at, my wife and I are on a date at a restaurant, and somebody's got you know, the phone out for their kid playing a movie out loud, you know, in the restaurant. And you're just kind of like, it's just pet peeve time and just struggling with the distraction of that. You're trying to listen to Jesus. You got a seat. You're listening to Jesus. And then you hear all this banging noise. And then as you're hearing all of that banging, you're also uh, sitting here and, and dirt starting to fall on you and sticks are starting to fall on you. And they've got a open a hole in this ceiling, not just a little tiny hole, but a hole big enough for a person to fit through on a stretcher, essentially, and be lowered down into the middle of this. So that's where you are. And all this is happening, and all of this just massive interruption happens as it comes down, and that's where we'll continue with our story. So we've got our heads in the moment a little bit. Now, verse 5. And Jesus 
seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That is the question. Verse 8, immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Now, I always pause here and think, where's the verse that says, and then they freaked out because Jesus was reading their minds, right? That's not there. And I don't understand how that verse isn't there. And I don't understand. (laughs) I mean, we'll never understand why these people weren't impacted by things like that, but they weren't impacted by what happens next. So uh, they, but they had their minds read. And Jesus says then to them, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. And he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. Okay, so there we are. You're in that room. You see all of this happen. And as we are in this series that is... Who is Jesus is the big question that we're asking. Today, the primary answer to that question is this. Jesus is the one who forgives sin. It's the first time we see this. It's the first time that we see he's done some miracles. He's healed people. He's cast out demons. He's done some amazing things. But now he says, your sins are forgiven. That's saying a little something more, and the scribes recognize that, right? They recognize, wait a minute, you know, only one person has this authority, and it's Jesus. He has the authority, and I believe also the desire to forgive sins. In in verse 5, right, that's where he says it. Son, your sins are forgiven, and then they say, who can forgive sins but God alone? And we say, exactly, right? We say, who can forgive sins? God alone. And so Jesus is proclaiming here something massive about who he is. Now, we, we got to make sure that we step back into the time of the story. Because it's easy for us to just be, duh, obvious. Isn't that what this whole thing's about, right? We know. Like, Jesus is God. That's why we're here. And because of that, some of that familiarity, we can forget that these people are trying to figure out What's going on with this guy? Who is Jesus? What is he doing? Who is he? Is he the one is basically what they're thinking. Is he the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one? And they're starting to see here, well, maybe he is, or at least he claims to be. And it was Jesus' ability to heal that helps to prove who he is. That's the way that he puts it. Now, just healing doesn't mean that he, will, that he is the Messiah. But what he says to them in 10 and 11, he says, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I'll say to you, get up and walk. 
Okay, so that's why he heals the guys, so that they will know. Now, there's this, this part here where it talks about Jesus as the Son of Man, his title of Son of Man, right? Now, this is something that we have to understand and dig into a little bit more. We can go even further, but for us to understand some core parts about when he says, but so that you will know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Okay, well, let's look into a little bit of this Son of Man. It's what Jesus most often called himself. And we got to go back. We go back to Daniel 7, and then we'll look a little bit ahead to Mark 14 to understand this. Okay? So we go back to Daniel. The book of Daniel is, um, you know, it has a few different levels of it and, and different ways that it works. But this part that we're looking at right now is like a prophetic passage. It's a prophetic passage. Some prophecy is about the end of days, and then some prophecy was about the Messiah to come. Messiah, Christ, anointed one, Savior. It's kind of all in one, okay? All those different things. And the Son of Man we see in this text. So Daniel is having a vision. And Daniel says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven. Remember that phrase, okay? Behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a Son of Man was coming. So that's Jesus, that's the Son of God, that's the the Son in the Trinity. One like a Son of Man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days, which is this title of God the Father, right? The Ancient of Days, speaking of his eternality, how he forever has been. So came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, the Son of Man, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So this Son of Man will have a kingdom that everyone will bow down to, right? Every knee will bow before the king of this kingdom, and this kingdom will last forever, and it will never be destroyed. So the Son of Man is the one that comes having rule over this kingdom. So they've got this knowledge in their head, and then he says, I'm that person, right? This is a huge, massive claim about who he is. And so he says that is who he is here in our passage for today in Mark 2, But then if you go a little bit further ahead in the story to right before he dies on the cross. So he's been betrayed. He is now on trial. He's been arrested and is on trial before these religious leaders. And he says, and it says, again, the high priest was questioning him, Jesus, and saying to him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus said, I am. That wasn't just answering his question. That was also referring to Yahweh, which means I am who I am. The very name of God. I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus is that Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. We go back. With the clouds of heaven, this vision, one like a son of man, and came up to the ancient of days. Jesus here is proclaiming who he is. 
that he is the one with the authority to forgive sin. And they say, it's only God alone can do that. And he says, exactly. Let me show you what I'm doing. Let me show you who I am. So this Jesus in this story is this one. And his kingdom will never end. And he has the authority then to judge and to forgive. Sin is committed against God, and only God then can forgive that sin. And that's who Jesus is. And this angers the scribes. This angers the other religious leaders of this day. Because he is messing with everything. That as much as a hole was being torn through Jesus' roof here, he is tearing a hole in their entire way of life. Their traditions, their power, everything that they have is being changed simply because of who he is. How is he changing you? Simply by who Jesus is, how has your life changed? And everything that you would think is how this world should work, completely transformed. Because it does. He does. And so we know that Jesus then is this one that forgives sin. We know that he is God. We know that he is powerful. He is Messiah. But in this passage, we also see something about faith in this passage in Mark 2. Something about faith for us. Okay, how are we to live in light of this passage? If you look at verse 5 again, it says this. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to him, your sins are forgiven. Seeing their faith. Not the faith of a man who was paralyzed. Not, you know, it was, it was about the faith of his friends that Jesus then says, your sins are forgiven. And so we say here, faith does not guarantee healing, but... Faith and healing are intimately connected in some way. There's something going on in this passage and other passages with faith and with healing and with both physical healing and spiritual healing. There's some sort of role. But we, we want to be careful because we are not saying that faith then guarantees healing or that if you're not healed that you didn't have faith. That's not what I'm trying to say by this. But... I feel like we have to look into this and say, okay, well, what is going on here then with faith? What's happening in these texts? Now, uh, I want to show you just a few different passages of Scripture uh, that we'll just sort of refer to as we're going through this, okay? But I, I really highly encourage you, just in your notes, in your outline, you've got these listed. You can look these up in more detail later. Because we see this persistent... Um, Faith being a theme through the book of Mark and then as well in some different uh, passages of Scripture throughout, throughout the Bible. Now, Mark 5, you've got this synagogue leader with a dying daughter. You have a bleeding woman as in the same story who are people that just boldly approach Jesus, shoving away the crowds even for this woman just to touch him. You have in Mark 7 this Gentile woman whose daughter has an unclean spirit that she so desperately wants Jesus to heal her daughter of. And she goes to Jesus to ask, and he basically says, look, I'm actually here for the people of Israel, for the chosen people. And she says, 
Even a dog gets to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. She refers to herself as that. And it so moves Jesus that he then does heal her daughter. This, this persistency in faith. These, it's using this word imploring over and over again in the book of Mark. Imploring, imploring. In Isaiah it says, I will not keep silent for Zion's sake. I will not stop. I keep going. I keep going. I won't keep silent. Uh, There's another story in Mark 10 of this guy that we call blind Bartimaeus. A blind man named Bartimaeus who Jesus is walking by. And Bartimaeus hears that he's walking by and just starts shouting, Have mercy on me! Have mercy on me! And people come up to him and say, Shh! Be quiet! You know, don't bother Jesus. But he just keeps going, shouting even more, Have mercy on me! Have mercy on me! And Jesus stops because he kept going. Mark 6, uh, verse 5, it's a very interesting passage because Jesus goes to his hometown. There's a familiar uh, passage that says, you know, a prophet in his hometown is not without honor. You know, except for a prophet within his own hometown, he doesn't have honor. And it is in that place where it says, Jesus could do no miracle there. And then what's funny is it says, except for a few, a few people that he healed. Because <laughs> for Jesus, like a bad day is like only healing a few people. But, um, you know, Jesus could do no miracle there uh, because of their unbelief, it says. So what's going on with that, right? Like we don't totally understand that even. But there's some sort of connection with faith and healing. And then one more story that I just want us to look at a little more closely. And it won't be on the screens, but it's Luke 18, 1 through 8. If you'd like to turn there, you can, or you can just listen. It is a story. It's a parable. It's a story that Jesus made up to teach a lesson. And it says he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Saying this, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. Jesus made this story up on purpose to teach us something, right? He did not need to tell this story. This isn't something that they all observed and wrote down. He told this story to teach us something about prayer, that we should keep going. It says, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? That that Jesus tells us to bother him. There's examples of people who bother him, who are healed, or who are rescued, or who are forgiven. These friends in this story were completely rude people. They broke somebody's roof. You know, they bothered everyone trying to listen to a talk. They try, you know, they finally have this chance. And they are so rude, but they're so persistent that Jesus responds. So what's going on then with this, with this whole thing? I want us to think about it kind of like a door. That prayer is like a door. 
And this gives us even a picture of prayer of saying, don't stay on the edge of the crowd. Don't stand back. Dig through God's roof and find yourself in his presence. Because as we approach this door, we come up, I won't actually bang on the TV. It would probably be a bad thing. But um, we come up to God's door with our prayers, with our hurts. Imagine that thing for you that, that, what is that thing you most want God to answer for you right now? And you come up to God with that. And I think sometimes we approach God and we sort of come up to his door and we have this thing that's weighing on us so much. And we just kind of a quick like, hey God. Will you heal me? And, all right, okay, it's good. It's okay. It's okay. You know, don't, you know we don't want to bother him. We, we just come up with this sort of mild prayer. We're almost like the FedEx guy, right? Where they come and they knock and they drop the package. We sort of knock quick, drop the package, and, and run away. And I don't know about you, but in our house, we don't even answer the door on the first ring or the first knock because 95% of the knocks on our door are a package being dropped. We live in an Amazon life. And so, you know, I just sort of like, I wait for the second one and then I'll actually get up off the couch to go answer the door. Because, like, and I think that's somehow we, we treat God like we're the FedEx guy of just like, okay, well, please, please, you know, and we have this sort of humility that we're trying to do. And if you will, humility. But I don't know if the text really calls for that. The text calls for us to bang on the door of God's heart. We keep banging. And we don't stop banging on the door of God's heart. And we do it day and night. And we keep banging on the door of God's heart. He says, keep knocking. Keep asking. The rude, the persistent were the ones that were rewarded. And for me, I think of in my life when I've just kept banging on the door of God's heart. I think of times in my life when I was praying for, it was healing for my mom's heart, it was infertility that we were going through, it was certain seasons throughout my life of career. It was my family's salvation, people in my family that I'm praying for for that over and over. Friends of ours that have been in painful times. I'm banging on the door of God's heart over and over and over. And, you know, sometimes I get the answer that I'm seeking, that I want. But sometimes I think I just keep banging as an expression of my dependence on him. You know, that's part of why we're asking you as a church to be praying with us this whole 1002 prayer thing. That we would all be praying Luke 102. That ask God to send workers for the harvest. That God would send us out into the world to see people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so we bang on that door every day. And that's why I think, imagine if everyone in our church every day is banging on the door of God's heart for the salvation of our friends, our family, our neighbors, our co-workers, our classmates, that we are banging on the door of God's heart and never stopping. And so that's why we continue to ask for you to be in that with us. There's a, a woman in our church named Jane who, you know how we ask you, you can fill out the card. The card on the back of the seat in front of you is there. If you're a guest or visitor, we'd love to have you fill that out and drop it off, we say. But we also say that that's there for prayer requests for all of you every week. There's a woman named Jane who fills the card out every single week 
with names of her family that she wants to know Jesus. And she fills that card out every week, and she's been doing it for years. She does not stop banging on the door of God's heart for her family. Because that's where her heart is. And she's just going to keep going and keep going. You know, we know that faith is not a magic formula that compels God to act. But it is this heartfelt expression of dependence on him. Asking him to save. Asking him to save. And I ask you, what would you do to see a friend healed? What roof would you dig through to see a friend forgiven? Think about that. That friend, you're one of those four guys in the story. They would do anything. What would you do? We want to be a people who would say, I will do anything to help these friends of mine. I will change anything in my life. I will do anything it takes. I will take on any challenge for them. I will take any risk, any awkwardness, any struggle in the relationship that I'm afraid of. Whatever it takes, but I'm going to keep banging on the door of God's heart for them. And so that's what we're doing as a church. And so I even in the midst of this season, I know that there's been a lot of new things lately. You know, I know that. There's been a lot of new, there's been a lot of challenges uh, that we've given. And we're even thinking of these new ideas that we presented to you about one service. You hopefully got an email. If not, fill out the card and then you'll get one. Um, But, um, you know, we've been thinking of new things because what we want to say is we will do anything to see people brought to the feet of Jesus. We'll do whatever it takes. We'll do anything to see that happen. That's the kind of person I want to be. That's the church I want us to be. That we will do anything. Now, of course, we want to have wisdom in that. You know, I even just recognize just if you haven't seen it yet, we do have even a little survey in there. We'd love in your bulletin if you would be willing to fill that out. We do. We want to know what your thoughts are on this. We want to receive good feedback. We want to make the, the most wise decisions that we can about everything that we do. But I also want us to make sure that the way that I'm trying to make decisions isn't what do I like and then I try to make the decision according to what I like. I'm trying to make decisions according to how will this help us as a church accomplish our mission, like in this story, to see people be brought to the feet of Jesus more and more and more. So as we, you know, even fill that out, fill that out, honestly, but at the same time, with perspective, right? With the perspective of our vision and mission in mind. And as we do that, we we kind of are reminded in the same way that this guy got reminded that sometimes Jesus gives us what we need, not only what we want. This guy didn't show up to the house with his friends to get forgiveness, I don't even know if they thought that was one of the options on the list, right? Like they, they are, they bring this friend and they dig this hole and they make this giant ruckus and they drop him down and then they hear his words, son, your sins are forgiven. And we think, wow, that's so amazing. And they might have thought, what? That's not what I asked for, <laughs> you know? That's like what's going on, I think, a lot of times in our own prayer life. 
That we pray, Lord, I want this thing so badly. Please give me this. And God says something else that maybe is even more radical. And we think, eh, that's not what he said, God. I don't know if you heard the, can I repeat the order? You know, uh, I'm asking for something different. But we, we have to recognize that God doesn't always give us what we want. He gives us what we need. And we see in this text this example of the priority of Jesus healing spiritually and bringing salvation as higher than him healing physically. We, we are astounded and amazed by the ways that Jesus heals someone physically. I think we get so, like, wow, that's incredible. We get that sort of thought. But then uh, I hope that we're not sort of passe about when Jesus heals someone spiritually, when we see people saved. And so we, we have to be willing then to recognize and think about Lord, what is the win here, right? What is the win when I, when I think about my life and when I think about my relationship with you? Is it asking God for what we need or want and we get it? Or is it that we are dependent on him and we get closer to who he is while banging on the door of his heart and never stopping? And so as we submit to his authority and to him, we, we might be, have answered prayer in ways that we have no idea of things that we ever needed or wanted. And so that growth in dependency, that's prayer. That's faith. And so we come before him with that. And when we think of Jesus as the one who forgives sin, as we want to be people who remember who Jesus is, we remember through the taking of communion. And so we're going to do that today. That is going to be our way as the people go to prepare to pass the elements. We remember who Jesus is and what he's done because he is the one who forgives sin. And the way that he has that ultimate authority to do that is through his work on the cross. And that's what we remember. You know, in the Old Testament times... There was this way of, of having your sins atoned or covered over was through this, this taking of this lamb, this perfect lamb, and killing that lamb. That The body of that lamb was given, and the blood of that lamb was shed so that then our sins would be atoned or covered over for that next year. And every time they would continue to do it and continue to do it. But Jesus as being the Son of Man, as being God in the flesh, came as the one who would live the perfect life, was the totally perfect Lamb. And it was the giving of His body and the shedding of His blood that has given us forgiveness of sin forever when He went upon the cross and died. But it is Him as He rose again in resurrection power. It is where He had victory over sin and over death. And so we remember the sacrifice that he made. As we take of that little piece of matzah bread, we remember him giving his body. As believers, as we drink from the cup, we remember that he has shed his blood for us. And that is what all of this is about. And so now the bread will be passed, and we will take it and hold on to it and reflect on who Jesus is. Let's pray. Almighty God, we 
we thank you. We come before this table with thanksgiving in our hearts. And we remember you, Lord. We remember your sacrifice. We remember what you have given. May it impact us. And Lord, may it cause us to be a people who submit to your will in all things. In Jesus' name.